Let me uh, tell you that we talked last week about the fact that God is a God of miracles. And um, when we think of Christmas, there, there are lots of things you think of. And, and I think miracles is one. And so we talked about not only that God did the most amazing miracle by sending Jesus on Christmas uh, or at Christmas, and, and we celebrate that. But the idea that, that he does miracles today. Well, let me tell you that we're watching that all the time. Uh, this morning, Kathy Wilkerson got up and drove to church, which would not be unusual. But on her way to church, she began to pray and she said she had one of those moments. God spoke to her and told her to sit right over here. And the reason was, is because one of her friends was going to come forward to give their life to Christ. So she came in the building thinking, okay, is this for real? I don't know if it's for real. Is that God? Is it not God? She sat in a place she never, ever sits. I went through the message. I gave the invitation. And all of a sudden, a person comes forward. And as they sweep by here, it's a friend she's known since she was nine years old. Didn't know she was going to be here. Didn't know she was obviously coming forward. And she's like, oh my gosh, God put her right there in that moment to see it. Does God do that? The answer is yes. Um, I don't know if you were a part of nothing lost can't be found, which I thought was phenomenal. I was just like, oh my goodness, last night and the night before. But on Friday night, Tony gave the invitation. And and if you were here, uh, he gave an amazing invitation, a pretty long one, actually. And and then what happened is we had people go forward. Matter of fact, the two nights together, 48 people made commitments to Christ. So, but on Friday night, one of the people, one of the groups making commitment was a family. And they go into the back room and the decision counselor sits down with them and they start speaking in Spanish. Well, the person who was with them didn't know any Spanish. They're scouring the room for anybody who knows Spanish. Nobody does. They run out and find Pastor Gil, who's going to do our communion meditation today. Gil comes in and sits down with them and begins to talk to them. They don't know any English and barely can understand it. Gil said maybe 5%. But here's what's wild. They understood every single word Tony said. And when they came forward and he asked them to pray the prayer, they knew everything to say. And they said it was amazing because they knew every word. God did a miracle in their life. God does those things. And, uh, you know, this is one of those days I'm going to go on and on. uh, So get ready. But uh, last uh, Saturday, I'm praying. and, And God... I had one of those moments too, and I could just see this particular family and I could see the husband sitting there getting drunk at night and the wife lying in bed alone, wishing she had someone feeling like they were so disconnected, the slurred speech, the, the numbness, all, I just, wow. So I thought, okay, Lord, if that's you, I'm going to share that in the invitation. And I described this family so well, they were just amazed. And, and, and they both came forward to make commitments to Christ. Um, God does these things. And, and I want you to know that if you're brand new to all this, you go, is this for real? It's real. And, and it's not a religion. It's a very real relationship with God. And when you read the Bible and you read what God does, we're told in Corinthians, those things are given to us as an example of how he wants us to live. So when we think about Christmas, we think about miracles. And if you're like me, and maybe most people, when you think about Christmas, you think about something else, and it's angels. And and does God use angels? Well, at Christmas time, he did. 
Uh, It began with Zechariah in the temple and an angel appearing to him to tell him that he would have a son, even though he and his wife were barren and not able to have children, and that the son's name would be John, and he would be the preparer for the way of the Messiah. And they give birth to John the Baptist, who prepares the way of Jesus. Uh, it, It goes on when Gabriel appears to Mary. And Gabriel says that you're going to have a child. And she said, how could I? I've never known a man. And he said, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And now we have a virgin going to give birth to a son, which was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 7. And, and she says, okay, yes, I'll be the handmaiden of the Lord. But she's engaged to Joseph. And Joseph, he, at first, he doesn't believe her. I mean, we can understand that, can you? You're engaged and your fiance is pregnant and you've never been with her. And and she tries to tell him what's going on. Well, he can't believe it till an angel appears to him in a dream and says, Joseph, the child is of the Holy Spirit. It's the one sent by God. And you will name him Jesus, which means Jehovah will save us from our sins. And he believes. And then you know that that they go to the town of Bethlehem and she gives birth to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And and God cannot contain his joy so much so that shepherds appear or, or shepherds are standing there when angels appear to them and tell them of the birth of the Messiah and that they'll find him in a manger. And they're already floored by this when the heavens part and a, and a choir, a chorus of angels breaks out in a thunderous ovation to God, singing praises to him. And in that moment, they are in the presence of angels and angels are just all over Christmas. But I want you to know that that is what God tells us not only happened then, but it's a message about what God does now. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, it says this, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Why? For by this, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Uh, one of my favorite angel stories was in the San Gabriel Valley Tribune. They had asked people to write in an incident that they had had with an angel. And a man wrote in what happened at, at around a Christmas time for him. His daughter, who was four years old, came down with the disease that an illness that struck her to the point. The doctor said they thought they would lose her. Four years old, near Christmas, she goes into a coma. And the mom and the dad are devastated and heartbroken. And you can imagine it wasn't Christmas anymore for them. And they have, uh, are not going to leave their little girl's side. And they end up, because of life, having to divide up who's going to be at Queen of the Valley Hospital. But it was nighttime. A few days before Christmas, the father is in one of those chairs that's next to his daughter's bed. And he just is so grieved and so hurt and so tired and so worn out. He falls asleep and he wakes up. It's early, early morning hours. And he looks over at her and she's just not moving and his heart's breaking. And he just thought, I got to have a cup of coffee. Well, uh, he went down to the cafeteria area where there would be a machine and it's out of order. And he thought, I really want a cup of coffee. So he thought, even though he didn't want to leave her very long, the 7-Eleven's not that far away. And he got in his car and he drives over to the 7-Eleven and he goes in and he's filling his coffee cup. And when he turns, he sees a guy in a big old green army jacket with coffee in his hand. And he thought, I I, I bet the guy's homeless. You know, it's Christmas. I'm going to buy his coffee. And he walks up. He says, hey, I'll, I'll get his coffee for him. And he said, when the man turned and looked at him, there was something going on. He could tell there was something happening. And, and, and the man said, thank you. 
Well, they walk outside together, and the man's ready to hop in the car to go be with his daughter. But the man in the green army jacket said, excuse me, I want to tell you something. Your little girl's going to be okay. And he was like, what? He goes, your little girl's going to be okay. Well, he said something inside leaped and uh, he couldn't, and he thought, I've got to get to her. Well, he turned, then he thought, no, I got to thank the guy and ask how he knows. And he turned back and he's not there. And he runs and looks around the corner and he's not there. He opens the door and said, did you see where this guy meant? And the worker said, no. Well, now more than ever, he wants to get to the hospital. So he gets in his car. He's driving as fast as he can, pulls in the parking lot. He's literally running to get to the glass doors and open them and run down the hallway to the elevators, pushing the button, waiting for it to come, getting on. It seems forever to get to the third floor. And then when he gets off, he runs into her room and she's sitting up and she says, daddy, daddy. She said, the angel was here. And he looks over and sitting on her table is a 7-Eleven cup filled with hot coffee. And she described him in the green army jacket. Now, I want you to know, you might say, is this for real? The answer is yes, God does these things. Prior to getting ready for this, I asked people to share stories of their encounters. And one came from a, a woman who Pam and I are very, very close to, Libby Decker. She's married to Mike Decker. They have two beautiful kids. Libby is one of the sweetest people I've ever met in my life. Pam and I loved her. The minute we met her, she's been so important to us. And I, I did their wedding. I, I was with them and, and so many things. Well, what happened is Libby is one of those people who always cares for everybody else. And, and it was also near a Christmas time when her mom became so sick and so disease-filled. They had to do a very extreme form of surgery. And they said that the prognosis wasn't good. They needed to do the surgery, but they weren't guaranteeing the outcome. And so she's devastated. She loves her mom. But Libby being Libby, as they got ready for her to uh, get ready for surgery, she introduces herself to every single nurse. Uh, she tried to find out something about them. She would bring a little gift to give to them and say, you know, the fact you're going to take care of my mom and you take care of others means so much. That's just how she is. She remembers everybody's name. She remembers. And so that's just kind of how she is. So it, it just made her feel better to do that as the surgery approached. And then it was time for the operation. And when her mom came out of it, she was in such pain. They decided to keep her under, but even sedated, her mom laying there was in just, just agony and it just tore at her. And so her and Mike are sitting there one night and she's just literally saying, God, I can't take looking at her like this. God, I want her to be okay. It's killing me to watch my mom suffer. And in walked the night nurse. And she said the minute she lays eyes on him, like something happened. He was an African-American man, but when he looked at her, he had deep blue eyes. And, and she said the minute she looked in the eyes, the first thought she had is that's unusual. But the second was, wow, man, I feel peace. Well, he introduced himself and they began to talk. And, and then he said to her, he said, I know you're concerned about your mom's pain. And she said, I am. He said, here's what I want you to do. Every 30 minutes, I want you to push this button on the morphine drip and your mom will be okay. And, and I want you to know this, your mom's going to be fine. Well, he left and, and they set an alarm and they did that. Every 30 minutes, they pressed the button and her mom just got so peaceful and she just started sleeping so good. And Libby felt like, God, you answered my prayer. Well, the next morning when it came time for the shift change, uh, the nurse walked in, but he didn't come in to sign out on his shift. And so she looked at the new nurse and said, well, I, I, where's the, the nurse from the night shift? And uh, the nurse looked at and said, well, I'll get her. 
She got her. No, no, no. It's, it's him. It, it's, and, and she named his name and he's an African-American man with blue eyes. And the nurse said, no, 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 no. There's no male nurse on this floor. And she said, no, I, I talked to him last night. He told me to do the morphine drip every 30 minutes. And the nurse goes, no, no, we can't do that without a doctor's order. Oh, you didn't, did you? And they go, yeah, we did. Well, they called the doctor and the doctor goes, oh, I was going to order that. And I forgot. And so then Libby's trying to find out who the nurse is. And so she goes to human resources and says, here's the, na- the name and here's what he looked like. And they said, there's no nurse like that at this hospital. Does God do that? You know, I want to tell you, he does. God does. It says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by this, by this, some have entertained angels without knowing it. God tells us to be ready for it. You may not always know who they are. You may not be aware of it. But does God do that? The answer is yes. And I want to tell you, it may be more personal than many of you know. A lot of you in this room believe that there is a a thing called a guardian angel. I believe that, by the way. And one of the places we get, it's in Daniel chapter 11, verse 1. In Daniel 11, Daniel's had a, a time of prayer and desire to know what's coming. And an angel appears to him again to speak to him. And listen to what the angel says in Daniel 11.1. 1. It says, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I arose to be an encouragement and a protection for him. He said, I want you to know that in the very first year that Darius took over the Medo-Persian Empire, I arose. I was assigned. I came to be the one who was to be an encouragement and a protector over him. The first thing I want you to get is how personal this is. This angel says, I had a personal responsibility, a personal relationship with Darius himself. And and he said, I came to do that. We know that God at times has assigned angels to nations. By the way, look over at Daniel 12, verse 1, and look what it says there. This is talking about in the last days, which we'll get into next week. But in Daniel 12, 1, it says, now at that time, Michael the great prince, who's Michael the archangel, who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise. And there will be a time of distress has never occurred since there was a nation until this time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book of life will be rescued. Now, now grab this. It says, Michael has a special protection over the Jewish people, but especially in the last days. And Darius had a special angel arose to protect him. And he says, I want you to know that. In Revelation chapter 2, 1, 2, 8, 2, 12, and 2, 18, along with Revelation 3, 1, 3, 7, and 3, 14, seven times in the book of Revelations, we're told that churches have an angel assigned to them. Jesus said, to the angel of the church of. And by that way, I, I know that Crossroads has an angel assigned to us. And man, we work that angel, right? And uh, yeah, really, yeah. Uh, but you know what? As churches have angels. Well, and then Jesus tells us something else. He says the kingdom of God's like a child. And then he begins to use almost a dual thought process as he talks about children, but also those who are Christians and, and young in their Christian. Christian walk. And he warns, don't do anything. Don't do anything to make them stumble. Why? Here's part of the reason. Matthew 18, verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my father who's in heaven. Their angels. Do you see how personal that is? 
He says there as it's their angel, a belonging there, a responsibility, a a relationship aspect happens. And it says their angels who behold the face of my father in heaven. In other words, there's something going on. Now, we can't always understand what it is, but God says that it happens. And while some people go, well, I'm not sure that every person has an angel. I'm telling you that we know nations do. We know churches do. We know Darius did. And we know when Jesus said this, that there is an angel that's somehow assigned. And, and, and that's where we get the idea of guardian angels. And Hebrews 1 verse 14, listen to what it says, referring to angels and all of us who are Christians. It says, are they not all? Not, are they not all? Not just some. What are they supposed to be? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? Are they not ministering spirits sent out to render service? In other words, to do a service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. Greg Wolken, who was in the nine o'clock hour this last hour, is a wonderful part of our church family. Man, he and his family are just cherished parts of us. Well, Greg said that this last spring into summer, he and three of his friends went to a San Diego Padre baseball game. And they decided to stay the night in a hotel. And so when the game was over, uh, that hotel was within walking distance, even though it was quite a ways. And they began to walk towards the hotel. Well, his friend, one of his friends, man, he started to labor. He was physically something just, he goes, man, you guys are going to have to go on without me. And Greg said, no, I'll, I'll walk with you. And the other two headed off and Greg and him are walking. And then all of a sudden he starts to shake. And Greg grabbed him and said, are you okay? And, and he put his arm around him. And man, he went like dead weight on Greg. He's passing out. And Greg's got him. And man, he's starting to panic. He's looking around there in an area where there's nobody kind of, there's no restaurant. There's no place to even turn into to get him a seat. And he's holding on, trying to figure out what to do. And he gets him over to the curb and sets him on the curb. And he stands up and he looks, and he hadn't seen her before. But standing in front of him is this woman with long blonde hair. And she looks and said, your friend's a diabetic. He's going into a seizure. He's going to go into a coma here. And Greg said she had in her hand. Now this is something, not just a a cup, an actual glass, glass, a large glass of orange juice with a straw in it. And she said, give him this. And he took it and he held it up to his lips and he started to drink and it started to take effect. And then all of a sudden the, the paramedics pull up and Greg said, I didn't call him. She goes, Oh, I did. And then Greg took the glass that now his friend had emptied turned and set it down and turned back and she was just gone. And the paramedics go, oh, we didn't see her. We didn't even see her. Now, now here's the thing. God does that. Are they not all ministering spirits sent to render service to those who will inherit salvation? Now, for all of us in here who are born again Christians, we know that God's word's true and we know we experience things like this. But if you're wondering, let me tell you, Case after case after case that's documented shows that something occurred. And you've got to ask yourself a question. Either people are are psyching themselves out and imagining things, or especially with preponderance of evidence for year after year after year of this occurring, you've got to ask, is something going on? And if it is, where do you find out what it is? Well, the Bible would be your answer. And it's a God who loves and cares. Uh, uh, Look back at Daniel 11 and look at verse 1. And notice two specific aspects beyond the personal nature of this angel with Darius. 
in the first year of Darius the Mede, I arose to be, now notice the first thing, an encouragement. When angels interact with us, one of the ways they interact is to encourage. And, and we see that happening. Melissa Deal was in agony over the fact that her husband, Chris, had cancer and it was stage four and he was told he wasn't going to make it. When he was hospitalized, he became weaker and weaker to the point he could barely feed himself. And then uh, one night she ran home for a little bit just to check on the house and then she was coming back to spend the night in the hospital as she always did. And when she got there and went down the hallway and opened the door to his room, his bed was empty. And she... Oh, she was so concerned right away. She panicked thinking, "Uh uh-oh, something's happened and they've taken him. So she ran to the nurse's station and said, where's my husband? And the nurse said, he's in his room. And she said, no, he's not. And they then everyone's panicking because where is he? He was too weak to get out of bed. And so they're called security. They called other nurses. They're going all over the hospital wondering if in a delirious state he had wandered somewhere. And then Melissa said, she's standing there. And she sent something that said, go to the chapel. And she went and opened the door to the chapel and she looked in and there's her husband, Chris, talking with the man she had never seen before. But when he, interesting again, when he looked at her, she said she was so taken by how blue his eyes were. But also the peace she felt. Well, her husband, Greg, said, I want you to go out. And she went and stood outside the chapel and it felt like an eternity, wondering what was going on till the door opened. And when he opened the door and stepped out, she said, Chris, who was that? And he said, it's my guardian angel. And she looked, he was gone. There was no one in the chapel. And uh, Chris looked at her and said, Melissa, I want you to know I'm okay, but I'm not going to make it. And we're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. And she, he said, honey, I'm ready. I've never felt such peace. And God's waiting for me. They walked back and he walked strongly back to his room, got into bed, and a few hours later he passed away. She said the peace was incredible. The ability to let go was amazing. And she really believes that God came and sent that angel to encourage her husband and to help her. It just happened. And so what do angels do? They come to be an encouragement. It's interesting. That word encouragement is a Hebrew word that literally means to uh, fasten upon. And what that idea is, is what Greg did for his friend. He held on to him and he held him up so that he literally had him. And that's what an angel may do at some point is come and give you this encouragement that causes you to be able to handle it. Not always to take it away, but to handle it. But by the way, sometimes to take it away, to encourage you on what's coming next. Uh, Ann Kennedy was also diagnosed with an extreme and aggressive form of cancer. And the doctor said that at the rate it was spreading, it just didn't look good. But they were going to have to do surgery and then try some very radical forms of treatment to try to save her. And she was scared and she was in agony, not really because of what she was facing. But here's why. Because her husband, Gary, who she loved with all her heart, his first wife had died from this very form of cancer. And she said, God, I, I'm ready I can go, but why this way? Why does he have to face this twice? And God, I just wish they'd do something. 
Well, she's sitting in her living room and there's a knock at the door and she opens it and standing before her is an incredibly tall man, African-American. But again, in her story, interestingly, blue eyes. And he looked at her and he said, Ann, your cancer's gone. And her first, she said, how do you know? And he said, God has sent me to tell you, you're going to be okay. Gary's going to be okay. Your cancer's gone. At that moment, Gary's standing at the door and he sees this man. Gary's 6'5". This guy's towering over him. And uh, she said, would you come in? And he said, yes. And he came in and he sat down and he began to talk with them and say, you're going to be okay. And I want you to know God's heard your prayers. Gary, you're going to be fine. And, and he began to talk to him. And then the angel said, can I pray with you? And, and he touched him. But she said when he touched her, something charged through her. And, 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 and she was just so filled. And then he leaves. And, and so she goes, what do we do? And Gary said, well, let's call the doctor. And she called the doctor and said, I need to delay the surgery. I, I think my cancer's gone. And the doctor said, there's no way. He said, I want you to know, you, we cannot delay this. Look, you need to come in. We're going to have to do it. And she said, well, I want you to test me again. And the doctor said, and there's no need to. And she said, I just am asking you to. And they did the test and they said, we don't know how to explain it. There's no cancer in your body whatsoever. Now, does God do that? Well, I want to tell you that story, by the way, comes from Time Magazine and they researched it. He does. He does. And, and you need to know, and I need to know, that when you read this, these words are true. And it's the story of a God who loves you so much that he would send his son Jesus at Christmas time to be uh, uh, the baby in the manger. Some springtime in Jerusalem, all of a sudden God answered their prayers and the Messiah was born. And we celebrate that. And you know what? That miracle is the greatest miracle of all. But the angels that surrounded his events and were a part of his life are a part of ours too. And why and how God uses them, we can't always be sure. But he does tell us this, that they're an encouragement. But look back at Daniel 11 verse 1. They're also a protection. In the first year of Darius the Mede, I arose to be an encouragement and a protection for him. Uh, it was in 1914, in August of 1914, that the British and the French troops combined together met the German troops as World War I was taking on an amazing number of deaths, people being killed. The Germans were winning handily up till that point in the war. And they quickly overwhelmed in Mons, France. It was in Mons that they all of a sudden were just decisively winning this particular battle. Uh, the wounded were mounting and laying on the field, many of whom they couldn't get to. And then all of a sudden it happened. Uh, uh, French soldiers and British soldiers began to tell of seeing angels appear out of nowhere. And, and beginning to drive back the German forces that easily outnumbered them and outmanned them. And the Germans were turning and, and starting to retreat. And then when they would actually turn and try to come another way, they would see the angels go and stop them. And then angel after angel went over wounded soldiers so they could tell the wounded from the dead. And they began to get them to the, the army tents, the hospital tents. And, and the, the soldiers began, I mean, not by one or two, but by hundreds and hundreds, talk about the angel that they saw with them. The nurses began to describe how even men who died, Died with such peace they'd never seen this before. 
And, and the doctors initially said, well, it's some form of mass hysteria. But when the war was over, the German soldiers who were there, they talked about the very same angels they saw. And talked about the reason that they retreated was they were powerless before them and struck with fear. Till finally they were driven back, not by the British and not by the French, but by the, the, the angels that came. And, and the angel of Mons is a story that's documented and shows God's protection and becomes a turning point for the allied cause in World War I. God sends them to be a protection. In Psalm 34, verse 7, it says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear his them, and he rescues them. Now, let me read those words again. Psalm 34, 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. I know many of you know what I'm about to share, but I can't share this, this story, this sermon, without one of the most amazing ones to me. It's very personal. Pam and I have friends, Chris and Michelle Smith, actually Doug and Maureen Hughes, and know them very well too. And uh, Chris was the, the head of Angeles Crest Christian Camp. Uh, they have just a wonderful family. And at that time, their daughter Kaylee was two. And Chris uh, was going to go pick up some supplies down in La Cañada. And so he said, let me take Kaylee with me. That way we'll get some father-daughter time together. So he puts her in her car seat in the back of the truck. And they're heading down to La Cañada. And they get all this stuff and load up the truck. And they're driving back up. And he said, I've driven that road hundreds of times. But it happened before I knew it. All of a sudden, he's driving and he's coming around a curb and his tire catches into the dirt of a turnout and he starts to lose control. And the truck is literally going over the embankment with hundreds of feet drop on a very steep drop happening. And Chris is screaming, oh God, no, oh God, my daughter Kaylee. And then the truck starts to tumble and his head hits the glass and knocks it out and it knocks him unconscious and it tumbles down. And it literally goes almost to the very bottom of this very steep embankment. He's knocked unconscious. And when he wakes up, the pain is excruciating. But he turns and he looks and the car seat's empty. And he starts screaming, God, no, not Kaylee. No, no, no. To get out, he has to climb through the broken window. And he stands on the truck looking to see her. He gets out and he's crying and praying and searching and screaming her name all at once. Kaylee, Kaylee. And, and he can't find her. And he thought, well, I've got to try to get help. Well, the embankment's so steep as he's going up, he would slide back down. And he's literally crying as he's going. Midway up, he sees something that catches his attention. The back window of the truck is laying on these bushes. And he's caught by the fact there's not a scratch on it. It's not broken at all. But then he gets up further. And as he's getting towards the top, Kaylee leans over and yells, Daddy, Daddy, I'm okay. And he comes over the embankment. She has a, a mark from the strap from the, the car seat. But she looks at him and she runs and hugs him. And he said, how did you get here? And she said, Daddy, the angels picked me up and brought me. And they told me you would be coming up and to wait for you. And uh, man, that little girl today knows that God protected her and had his hands on her. Now, you may be sitting here asking something that I think you should. If angels are sent by God to watch over us and protect us, why then at times do we not find the protection? Why uh, didn't it happen for my friend, for my family member? 
And I don't know that answer. I do know that God is real, and I do know that God loves us, and I do know that God at times chooses to use this because he revealed it to us. But I want you to know that there was a particular man who God chose not to protect, not to watch over in that moment, to to let happen what would happen, and it was Jesus. And Jesus is getting ready to go and be tortured, scourged, And hung up on a cross. When the soldiers first begin to surround him, Peter pulls out a sword and cuts off the ear of a person standing nearby. And Jesus orders him to stop. And then he says these words. He says, do you not think that I can appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? He says, don't you know that I could stop this? My father could stop this, but he's not going to. And we know that God in his mercy and love and grace and Jesus chose on his own to go and die for us on the cross and to go through every bit of pain that that would mean. And he did it because he loved me. I know that he loves me. And he did it because he loves you. And why God at other times says, no, you're going to go through this time of trial. We just, in the end, if you're wise, and I really mean this, if you're a wise person, what you do is say, God, you know best. But I do know at times you protect. I do know at times you do miracles. I do know at times. But I know the greatest miracle of all isn't, isn't being healed, isn't being protected from a car wreck. The greatest miracle of all is that we would be born again into a relationship with you and be loved. And then when we die, we'd go to heaven and be with you. But we get to live life with you. That's the real miracle. And by the way, that's the one that he offers to everybody. That's the one that is for you. It's for me. And it's meant to be that we would then begin to live the truths that are here. And experience them. And I want you to know that, that God does care about you. I want you to know that God does love you. And if you're here today and you're one of his children, then what does God say? God says, are my angels not all ministering spirits sent to render service for you? Because I love you. But today, if you're not close to God, maybe you've never ever really truly entered into a true intimate relationship with him. I want you to know that God wants that for you. And you might ask, okay, how do I do that? Well, here's the answer. The Bible says, call on the name of the Lord and be saved. What you do is you pray a prayer. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone, if anyone, no matter what you've done, no matter what sins you've committed, no matter what hurtful things you've, you've enacted, no matter how badly you've been hurt, if anyone would open the door, he said, I'll come to him. And when he comes, he brings cleansing and he brings healing. And if you've never opened up your life to him, how do you do it? Well, you pray and you say, Lord, I want this. I really want this. And you open up to him. In a moment, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start a prayer time. And then in the middle of the prayer time, if today you would want to say yes to God, just as, uh, just as Kathy's friend last service did, you, you, you can whisper that prayer with me. And I'm going to even ask, say, pray it right where you're sitting. God would want you to. He wants you. And if you've never entered the relationship, all you need to do is just let's pray together and and say yes to him. And it's going to happen. It's going to be a beginning.
If you're here today and, and you at one time were walking with the Lord, man, you knew God and you were so excited for church and you were excited to read the Bible and you were excited to pray. But right now, you know that you're not close to him. Maybe you've wandered away, we, you know, backslidden. But I'll tell you what, he wants you back. Jesus said, he who would come to me, I would never cast out. And if you would just come back to him, oh, would he love you? And what do you need to do? Pray that prayer again with us. So my hope is that the miracle is about to happen, the greatest miracle of all, some of you coming to know him and some of you coming home to him. And what a blessed Christmas it would be to our heavenly father if you would do that. Because I can tell you what he wants more than anything. He wants you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you love us. Oh, I thank you that you love us. And God, I love that when we read the scriptures, we turn and look in our lives and we see you just working and guiding, revealing things to us. And, and then, Lord, oh, do I love when we step back and we can see that you've done something that's just beyond what we would think extraordinary, either by a miracle, an angel or something, but it's by you. But God, the greatest miracle of all is that when we talk with you and pray with you, you're there. And you adopt us as your children. You're our Abba, our dad. And so Abba, Father, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would come in this room. Please encourage all of us today. Those who are hurting, I pray God a special touch is going right now. And, and Lord, something's happening. They're, they're finding strength and peace and joy. They're not going to walk out of here with the pain. They're going to walk out of here with hope. I pray for that. For the person, Lord, who came in and feels like there's failure in their life. God, I pray that's not going to define them anymore. They're going to let go of it and they're going to just let you work. For the person who's come in so hurt, they just can't stand it. And they came here wanting comfort. God, I pray that beyond anything else that happened, right in this moment, right in this time, you comfort them. And I pray right now, most of all, for anybody who needs to come to you or needs to recommit to you. I pray you would stir, Lord, and touch them. And I pray right now they would. Right now, they'd want to pray this prayer. They'd want to say yes to you. And ask that we keep praying. And if you're right with God, would you really, truly right now start praying for anybody who needs to make this decision? But I'm going to lead that prayer. And if you would like to either commit or recommit your life to Christ, I'm going to ask you to pray it with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins to heal me of my hurt, to make me alive, to make me new, and to make me yours. And I say, yes, I want this. And I want you. So I open my heart to you. Please come fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit. And help me be who you created me to be and to live the life you have for me to live. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow. Praise God for those of you who prayed that prayer.